time to jump in to our Greatest Showman series. Who's been enjoying this series? It's been great, isn't it? Like, is, like, just put your hands up if you have seen this film. You have seen this film. And if you haven't seen it, uh, then uh, I would encourage you to kind of grab it. We've got some DVDs and stuff like that if you want to see it. But, uh, um, and uh, we've been uh, looking at this, this film, The Greatest Showman, which has literally become a bit of a phenomenon uh, around the world for the last 18 months or so, surprising all the critics who didn't think it was that great. And um, we're looking particularly at four songs from this film, this, this award-winning film, and, and seeing like, what, what is it about this story, what is it about this film, what is it about these songs that seem to speak to our culture, speak to our hearts in a way that has made it so incredibly popular. And so we've called this series, The Greatest Showman, The Songs of the Greatest Showman, The Search for Self-Worth, significance and security, those three things that actually everyone on planet Earth is looking for. Self-worth, am I loved? Is my life worth something? Significance, what is my life about? Security, will I be safe? Is there a place for me to belong? And there's something within these melodies and in, these, uh, in this story that seems to capture some of those things that we're looking for. And as we do that in the series, we've been connecting them with another amazing storyteller, which was Jesus himself. Incredible storyteller and how some of the stories in the songs and what these songs are about connect with some stories that Jesus told. And so this morning, uh, we're going to look at the song From Now On. And uh, if you don't know the, the film, spoiler alert, just coming. So just uh, put your fingers in your ears, hum really and loudly and annoyingly and uh, if you don't want to hear this. But basically, this happens almost near the end of the movie. And uh, throughout the whole movie, P.T. Barnum, uh, who has you know, set up this circus of misfits and, and kind of quotes freaks and other appropriate words to use to describe them. And he's become very popular. But throughout the whole film, you get this sense of, like I talked about this on the very first week, he's all about the pursuit of more. He's, he, he came from a very poor background. He's out to prove himself. He's out to prove what he can do to make lots of money, to, to have all of the stuff. And that pursuit of more is so relentless that it exhausts everyone around him, everyone who loves him. And it all goes horribly wrong. And, uh, and as we get to this point in the movie, his circus has literally burnt to the ground. His big A-list celebrity tour has kind of cancelled everything. Uh, he has run out of money and he's lost his home. And his wife has just left him with their kids. He is literally in the pit. And as his wife leaves, she said to him, you never really loved me. You love yourself and you love your circus, but you don't really love us. And so we find him in a bar, drowning his sorrows, having lost everything in the pit. And then to his surprise, his, his little band of misfits, they come and meet him in the bar. And even though he's treated them badly and he's shunned them and, and, and he's definitely not been a great boss, they do something towards him which brings an awakening him. They show forgiveness. They love him. They say to him, you know, you might be a fraud, you might be about the money, but actually you gave us a family. You gave us a home. And the bearded lady says, we want our home back. And in this moment, he has his awakening. He comes to his senses. He starts to realize that everything that he's been living for is wrong. 
that he's been chasing the wrong thing, that what he needed all the time was right there, right in front of him, belonging, a family, a place to call home. That's where he would find his self-worth, significance, and security. And it's in this moment he sings this song, this resolve that says, from now on, from now on, I'm no longer going to be blinded by the lights of fame and money. From now on, I know that I'm going to come home to where the life and love is. Let's watch the clip. I saw the sun begin to dim and felt that winter wind blow cold. A man learns who is there for him when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold. Cause from that rubble what remains can only be what's true. If all was lost, there's more I gained Cause it led me back To you drink champagne with kings and queens The politicians praised my name But those were someone else's dreams The pitfalls of the man I became For years and years I chased their cheers A crazy speed of always needing more But when I stop and see you here Tonight, I heard the promise in me, Scott. I gave 
So the whole thing about this song is that sense of the pursuit of home. We are all longing for someone, for relationship, something, and someone to belong to. Which is interesting. Because this is a guy called Raphael Samuel. And, uh, and a year ago, Raphael Samuel was in the news because he had decided to sue his parents. And what I'd love you to do for 10 seconds, turn to the person next to you and see if you can guess why he was suing his parents. Okay, just over to you for just one moment. Why was Raphael Samuel, uh, with a fake beard here, by the way, suing his parents? Okay, so here you go. Here we go. You can, you can give yourself a little cheer if you got it right. Raphael Samuel decided to sue his parents because they did not ask for his consent to be born. <laughs> True story. True story. He, he said this. He said, we didn't ask to be born, so we should be paid for the rest of our lives to live. And so, so he literally, he, he spoke to his mum at the breakfast table about six or seven months ago. His mum's a lawyer, not a good idea. And he spoke to his mum at, at the breakfast table. He says, mum, uh, I didn't ask to be born like you've maybe be born. And uh, I didn't ask to be part of this family. So basically, show me the money. If you're a Jerry Maguire fan, you'll know what I'm talking about. Show me the money, he said. And, uh, and she said to him, actually, no, you can sue me, but I will destroy you in court, she said. Such is the love in this family that they feel. <laughs> but essentially, you know, he was saying, I don't want you. I just want the money. Because that's what I think, you know, that's what I need. I need money. I don't need to belong. I don't need relationship. And it reminds me, just like P.T. Barnum, of so much of his story in this, until this moment in this song of, of a brilliant story. Perhaps one of the most famous stories that Jesus ever told. We'll look at the most famous story Jesus told next week. And, um, and you find that story in Luke chapter 15. And so if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn it on or open it up? And if you don't, it'll, it's going to be uh, on the screens. And in Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells three stories. And they're all about lost things that get found. And so first of all, we have a sheep that is lost. 99 sheep are fine. Uh, a sheep is lost. Uh, the shepherd goes looking at great personal cost to himself. He eventually finds the sheep. He puts it on his shoulders. He carries it all the way back. And there's a big party. Something's lost. Something is found. And there's a big celebration. And then there's a coin that's lost. And again, we see a lady who's got 10 coins. She's lost one. And uh, at great personal cost and expense and sacrifice, she literally turns the whole house upside down until she finds the coin. And then she throws a party. Something is lost. Something is found. And then there's a big celebration. And then Jesus is building up to this big story which we're only going to look at a part of at the moment. The story about a father who had two sons. And, and what all of these stories that Jesus is communicating is basically saying that people are lost. They are lost. They have wandered far from home. Just like P.T. Barnum. He's got lost in the trappings of this world and the lies about where we find our self-worth, significance and security and got lost. And what everyone is really looking for is to belong, to be home, to be loved, to be in community and family. But even more than that, to be with the God who created them and loved them, to be home with him both now and for all eternity. 
And he is the one, as we see in all three stories, who goes looking and celebrates when people are found. So here we go. Uh, Luke chapter 15. And uh, I'm reading here from the NIV, and I think I put the NIV up on the, uh, on the screens as well. So this is Luke 15, and we'll just read the first uh, few verses. This is 11, uh, verses 11 to 13. So it says, Jesus continues. He tells another story. There was a man who had two sons. The youngest son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and then he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, at this point in the story, the people who were listening to this, they would have been shocked. There there are loads of shocks and surprises in this story. Shock number one is this younger son essentially is saying to his father, I don't want you, I want the money. Like He's essentially saying, I wish you were dead. Give me the money now. So everyone's shocked. They expect that the response of the father is going to give him a slap around the ear and send him to his room. But the second shock is the father does it. He literally gives his son the share of the inheritance early, which would have been very costly to do. He wouldn't have had lots of money. He literally would have had to sell all the land that he had in order to pay his son off. Shock number three. Once all of that happens, the son grabs the money and he leaves. He goes to a distant country. He gets as far away as possible. It's like he's really saying to the father, I want nothing to do with this family. Shock number four, the distant country, the distant land. Jesus knows that the people who are listening to him would know he's talking about he's gone to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles were like, you know, the the unclean. You should never be with the Gentiles. You're a good Jewish boy. And and so like this this guy is going from bad to worse. Can it get any worse? Yes, it can. Shock number five. Jesus says he blows the whole lot. He blows it all. And so you can imagine at this moment that that those who are listening are just saying like, what's going to happen next in this story, this terrible rebellious son? Let's read on verses 14 to 16. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to feed to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Sixth shock, a Jewish boy goes to work for a Gentile farmer. Like this is getting worse and worse. And what's he doing? He's feeding pigs. And if you know anything about the Jewish faith, you'll know that pigs are unclean. It's like all the time in this brilliant story, Jesus is making the point, this guy is getting more and more lost, more and more unclean. And then he gets to this place. The, the seventh big shock is he wants to eat the pig food himself. He's so hungry. He's so starving. It's like Jesus is saying, this guy, it, it's not just that he is a pig because he doesn't even eat the food. He's lower than a pig. Jesus builds this incredible big picture. And just like P.T. Barnum's in a bar, but this guy is in literally a pit. He's lost everything. But then let's see what happens next. Does he have a P.T. Barnum moment? Is this the moment when he starts to sing from now on? Let's read verses 17 to 19. 
But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Now, at this point, we might think, this is it. He's come to his senses. He's, he's repented, which literally means in the Bible to change your mind, to realize you're going in the wrong direction and to about face. Like, is that what's going on? Is this his from now on moment? Could he suddenly sing this song? I saw the sun begin to dim and felt the winter wind blow cold. A man learns who is there for him when the glitter fades and the walls won't hold. From now on, these eyes will not be blinded by the lights. From now on, what's waited till tomorrow starts tonight. Let this promise in me start like an anthem in my heart. From now on, from now on, and we or I will come back home. I will come back home, home again. Is this the moment when he's like, oh, I've made a terrible mistake. I've realized where I belong. And the answer is no. That's not what's going on here. If you look at what he said, he's just like, if I think about my, my, my dad's servants, they've got food. They've got money. They've got lodging. So if I go back, then I, I don't want to be a son anymore. But if I could just be a servant working for my dad. He doesn't want his dad. He still wants the money. He still is thinking about himself. He, like His dad is still an access way, a route into getting what he needs. He is still living for himself. He's still lost. Shocking story, but then it gets more shocking. Verse 20. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is absolutely the last thing that the listeners to this story were expecting. Because what they're expecting is, dad's probably forgotten all about him. But actually what Jesus says, no, this father has been like looking out every single day since the son left. Longing for his return. He's not forgotten him at all. And then Jesus tells us the five things that this father does, which are incredible. And these, remember this story, this is a picture, this story that God is saying that we are like that son. We've, we've gone to distant lands. We've, we've tried to find a place to belong and, and find significance and self-worth and security in all the wrong places. And God is like the father who's looking out for us and longing for us to return. And despite how we've treated God, how we've behaved towards God... God is like this dad. The response of the dad is incredible. The first thing of the five things Jesus says is that the father is filled with love. That's his response. His response is not anger. His love for the boy is not diminished. He still burns with love for the son. This love that is relentless, unconditional, unfathomable, incredible, eternal. That's the love that this father has for the son. And that is the love that the father has for you. This incredible love that burns for you, however you treat him. Secondly, there's no doubt that as the son is arriving and the father sees him in the distance, you can imagine the guy's been in a, in a pig's den. His clothes are probably torn. He probably stinks. He probably is covered in mud. He's almost recognizable. I'm sure the, I'm sure the listeners would say, well, this is, this is karma. This is the guy getting his just desserts. And yet we're told, secondly, the father is filled with compassion. Like he sees the state the son has 
got into. And rather than thinking, well, this is just you paying the consequences, the father heart breaks to see the mess that the boy is in. God doesn't want us to suffer. He's not mad at us and and wanting to wreak vengeance on us. And then this third thing happens, which is one of the most shocking things of all. The father then runs to the son. He runs to the son. This is an old man. And, and, and to run is to humiliate yourself. Like, you know, this is in the time when like, everyone's wearing kind of long robes that go down to your feet. And, uh, and so if you're going to run, you've literally got to lift up your, your robe, probably above your knee, so that you can run. This is humiliating. This is sacrificial. This is you not caring what anyone thinks because you are desperate to get to your boy. And why? Why did the father run? Well, the people who knew this story knew what was going to happen next. Because in the culture of that time, if you were a wayward son, if you had basically done what happened in this story, if you had stuck your fingers up to your family and your community, you'd gone to another land and, and, and everyone knew that, that you'd behave so badly. If you then tried to come back to the community, you would face something that in Middle Eastern culture was called the Kezazar ceremony. And the Kezazar ceremony worked like this. As you, as you returned, if you were seen by the community, they would gather a group of people from the community and they would wait at the community gates. And they, and they would get you and then they would surround you. And then someone would take a large pot, a large vase, a large clay jar, and they would put burning uh, nuts and coals within it and they would put it at your feet. And they would stand in front of you and they would basically stand on it and crush it. And they would say, this is you. You are crushed. You have no part in this community. We judge you as dead. You must go. There is no hope for you. You will be an outcast for the rest of your life. And so the father runs to get to the boy first. The father runs to make sure that he will get there before the judgment. Because the amazing thing about this biblical story is that with God, grace outruns judgment every time. Grace outruns judgment every time. The God that we serve in the Bible is not a God who's come to judge you. He's come to save you. He's come to rescue you. He's come to humiliate himself, whatever it takes, even death on the cross, in order that you could be rescued and saved, that you could have hope and life and life eternal. He's good. It's worth a hallelujah and an amen from some people. The God who runs. And then he embraces his son covered in poo and grime and he embraces him in all of the mess and he kisses him. And the word here means literally to repeatedly kiss. The joy that this father has that his lost son has come back home. Notice now how the son responds in verse 21. The son says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But notice that's all he says. He doesn't now do the the other bit in the speech, as you'll see in terms of what happens next. He doesn't say, just make me a servant. This is the moment of his repentance. This is the moment he comes to his senses because just like P.T. Barnum, what caused the awakening in P.T. Barnum? What caused that moment in the bar when he realized he's got it all wrong? When he was surprised by love. 
when love came to him and he expected judgment. And in that moment, he has this awakening saying, this is what I need. I need this kind of love. I need these kind of people. And that is what's happened in this moment to the son. This is his from now on moment. This is the reason where he's going, God, I'm, I'm not worthy. I've blown it. I've got all these things wrong. But he finds love. And he knows this is where he belongs. This is his moment where he comes to his senses. It's not that the boy's repentance, it's not that the boy's coming to his senses triggers the father's love. It's the father's love that triggers his repentance. That's what God does. And then notice in verses 22 to 23 what happens next. It's, the father said to his sons, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine who was dead is now alive again. He was lost and now found. Let's have a big celebration. Notice four things that the father does in this moment. He puts on the best robe in the house. Guess who owns the best robe in the house? The father. So the father gives his very best robe. And by taking off the filthy rags of the son and clothing him, this is a sign of forgiveness. This is a sign that the father is saying, I am making everything you. You are forgiven. He puts a ring on his finger. It's the family signet ring. It's, It's his way, the father's way of saying, you are part of this family. You are part of this family. He puts shoes on his feet. The Greek word literally means expensive shoes, really expensive shoes. The significance of this is that slaves walked bare feet, but family members wore shoes. Family members wore shoes. It was a symbol of having the freedom of the whole house. So in this, the father is saying, through the robe, you're forgiven. Through the ring, you're family. Through the shoes, you're free. And then he throws a massive feast to tell the whole community, there will be no Kezazar ceremony for my boy. He is back. He is alive. He has returned. He belongs. He's home. This story. And then the same thing. Something's lost. Something's found. And a great celebration. And as I said, in this story, what what God is saying, what Jesus is saying, again, is is all of us. We've gone to distant lands. We've we've tried to figure out life for ourselves. We've tried to find a place to belong and find our security. But we will only truly find it in the God who created us. This God who's uh, relentlessly patient with us, like the Father who's waiting For the son to return. The God who has everlasting love that never diminishes. The God who is filled with gut-wrenching compassion when we suffer. The God who will humiliate himself so that we could be saved. The God who graciously forgives us, mercifully restores us, tenderly embraces us. The God who gives us the kiss of acceptance, who longs to rescue us. And then the whole of heaven celebrates when one person comes home. You know, I, I remember you know, preaching on this many, many times, and I would say to people, like I will before our time is finished, if, if you've never said, God, I want to come home, I want to be with you, right now, I don't just mean be with God forever and eternity after we die, but right here, right now, I want to be part of your family. Forgive me from going off to distant lands. Receive me back into your family Help me live for you as you, uh, as my father, as Jesus, as my elder brother, the Holy Spirit, as my companion and counselor and advocate and helper to help me be more free and whole and all that I was created 
to be, to be part of your global family, the church of Jesus Christ. I, from now on, I want to be part of that. Well, I'll offer that in a moment. And, and, and when people have done that, I used to say, and, and like when you do that, just in accordance with this story, the whole of heaven celebrates. It's got your name on a big banner and like, woohoo, Tony's become a Christian. Woohoo, about time. You know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and I think that's a little bit true. But actually what I've realized, that is not what heaven is celebrating. When heaven celebrates someone who comes back to the God who created them, Heaven is celebrating, God, you've done it again. You've done it again, God. You have taken someone from the pit and you have rescued them. You have taken them from darkness and you've brought them to light. You've taken them from death and you've brought them into life. You take them from waywardness and rebellion and being a runaway and you fully restored them into your family. God, you are flipping amazing. The whole of heaven celebrates who God is, what God has done. That's what we're celebrating, the goodness of God. The goodness of God. The boy finally comes to his senses in the father's embrace. P.T. Barnum comes to his senses in the embrace of his misfits. Let me ask you today, gently, cautiously, what will it take for you to come to your senses? And to realize that this God is not distant, but he is close. And he is looking for you. He is pursuing you. He wants you to be restored and, and in him, the God who created us, him alone, we find our belonging. We find our home. We find the self-worth that we're looking for. That whatever we do, good, bad, or ugly, we are loved by him. That in him, we find our significance. That as we return into relationship with him, we find out what our whole life is about. I'll talk more about that next week. We find our significance. And in him we find our security that whether life is good, bad or ugly, time and time again the Bible promises us that God will take care of us. Nothing will pluck us out of his hand. He will never stop loving us. And even if death takes us, we will be with him in new creation, never to suffer, never to die, never to cry. All of those days are gone in new creation. It's the great promise. What will it take for you and I? To come to our senses. Maybe you're here and you've been following Jesus for a long time. But maybe you've even drifted off to a a distant land. And God is saying, come home. Really choose to belong. Receive the robe of forgiveness. The ring of family. The shoes of freedom. The feast of celebration. I want to close by showing you this clip of... um, This is... You're about to see a, a... a couple talking to a 19-year-old girl called Meredith. She's been staying with Anna and Zach. They're just a young couple. And uh, they agreed to take her in because she was basically blowing up her life. She's not a family member or anything like that. And uh, they've been looking after her for many months. And they decided to film. What they told her is they decided to film a little video of them just saying nice things to her. Because eventually she was going to have to move out. And she could keep that as a keepsake. What she didn't know is they were about to tell her that they were adopting her and she was going to be forever now part of their family. Uh, Watch what happens next. I just want you to know that we love you so much. And I want you to know that in six months we still may make you move out. But we we want this to be permanent and we want to adopt you into our family. So... 
wanted to give you. And I, I, I love what he, he says. He says, you know, we're going to take care of you forever. And we, and we know in a sense he can't do that. But today, friends, God makes that promise to you. I will take care of you forever. Till as, uh, I love this Brendan Manning quote before we pray. He says this, on the last day when we arrive in the great cabin in the sky, many of us will be bloodied, battered, bruised, and limping. But by God and by Christ, there'll be a light in the window and a welcome home sign on the door. Belonging to God's family. Belonging to God. And shall we stand together?